Just a warning before we start, we're going to discuss some difficult topics relating to maternal mental health. These include self-harm, suicide, pregnancy loss, miscarriage, stillbirth, and infant death. If that's something that will be triggering for you, I invite you to take some time away. Maybe join us back later if you feel it's something you could come back to. If not, maybe check out one of the other episodes. We're going to discuss various different conditions in maternal mental health and different treatment options. This is just to be taken as general advice and shouldn't be used for your own specific circumstances. I'd advise if you're struggling to go and speak to your healthcare professional. Hello and welcome to the Nirvana Principles Show. I'm your host, Dr. Hassan Malik. I'm a trainee psychiatrist and electronic musician based in Northwest England. I'm passionate about making mental health concepts more accessible to the public, create conversations around psychology, and change perspectives on topics ranging from philosophy to psychedelics, aging to motherhood. I have the privilege of hosting this space on the first Wednesday of every month from 5 to 6 p.m. on Melodic Distraction Radio. Every episode has a featured guest to share their views, opinions, and expertise with us. As we progress in our episodes for Nirvana Principles show, it's important to talk about challenging topics which are important in today's day and age. With Mother's Day coming up later this month, I thought it'd be a good idea to be part of the celebrations of femininity and motherhood. We're going to talk today about perinatal psychiatry, which is the psychology of the mother around birth. With me here in the studio is Dr. Will Davis and Dr. Laura Bladen. Both of them are higher trainees in adult psychiatry, and they are some of the best psychiatrists that are there in my trust. Welcome to you both. Will, why don't you start by telling me a bit about yourself? So I am an SD6 general adult psychiatrist, mm-hmm. um, and I am a higher trainee representative for the Royal College of Psychiatrists and the perinatal faculty. Um, and I've had an interest in perinatal psychiatry for about five years now. Um, and I've worked in two different roles within perinatal psychiatry and worked within uh, psychology services within perinatal as well. I understand that you also won an award recently. What, what was that award about? Uh, so I won the Royal College of Psychiatrists Northwest um, Higher Trainee of the Year and the uh, Lancashire Care and South Cumbria uh, High Trainee of the Year as well. Quite an accomplished doctor, I see. Laura, you're a specialty trainee in their year four of adult psychiatry. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm also a medical education fellow within um, the Trust. And as part of that, I'm doing a project, um, which is um, a podcast about perinatal mental health. I've had um, one job within perinatal psychiatry. It was a couple of years ago when I was a core trainee, which is where I met Will. Being pregnant or having a baby has a lot of social, cultural, psychological and physical effects. You are interested in perinatal and you've been working there for quite some time or a significant amount of time. Why, why do you think maternal mental health is important? So I think maternal mental health is important both for the mother, family and the baby. And I think there's been a lot of evidence that's come out over the past 20 years about the the need for improving care and also increased awareness of maternal mental health and I guess poor maternal mental health and how to improve that. I, I guess when it comes to thinking about the 
negatives of poor maternal mental health, which I guess is the reason why we want good maternal mental health. Mm-hmm. We want to think about also the, the happiness and the enjoyment of, of a, having a happy pregnancy for a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I guess, thinking about the wider context of the family as well, having a, a happy pregnancy for the partner, for the family, um, and all the expectations that go with having a new baby and being pregnant and and thinking about how we can prioritise mother's care, how we can make a baby have the best outcomes, have mothers have the best outcomes. And we know that if a mother has a nice pregnancy and has positive mental health and has good mental health throughout the pregnancy, then baby has much better outcomes. We know that postnatal depression is linked with preterm delivery. We know that postnatal depression is also linked with lower birth weights. Mm-hmm. We also feel that it's possibly linked with increased risk of having to have a cesarean section as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're improving maternal mental health, specifically thinking about depression, then we're going to all think about reducing those outcomes. We also want to think about maternal bonding as well, bonding between baby and mum. And we know that the bonding and the attachment between mother and baby is incredibly important for the development of baby and baby developing um, all the skills of being sociable, mm-hmm. thinking about how to develop their own personalities and thinking about how they develop their own mental health as well. Um, and a lot of the risks involved in poor maternal mental health is actually the poor outcomes for baby. So we want to try and maximise the potential of any family in being able to develop a, a a young baby, I think it's important also to think about how a partner family may be able to contribute to that as well. We know that there's big financial risks as well with poor maternal mental health. Mm-hmm. There's a, a seminal paper that came out in, in uh, 2013 from the London School of Economics, and that paper showed that there was an £8.1 billion cost to the UK economy um, for poor maternal mental health um, and that a large proportion of that was direct costs on the NHS but also the effect on poor development of baby, the effect that this may have on poor outcomes for children, development of ADHD, possibly autistic spectrum disorders, poor outcomes with learning, intellectual ability and so there's a lot of money now is being put into maternal mental health to be able to improve outcomes both for mothers and for baby. Is there, some people say that pregnancy is protective of mental health. There's new mother, people have families happy and they're more caring towards them or they, you know, even if you're standing in, in, in a bus and they, you're, if, if a lady is obviously pregnant, I hope that we live in a place where someone will give up their seat to them. So with the, that kind of support or let's say extra care, is there still a risk to women's mental health while they're pregnant? Yeah, so I think um, that's a really good point, Hassan, about how there's this sort of perception that if um, a lady um, is expecting a baby or if she's just had a baby, then she should be really happy about it because that's what society shows us that, you know, you know, it's a really exciting and happy time. And of course, that's how it should be. But there is evidence to show that uh, being pregnant or having a new baby doesn't protect a- against um, mental health issues. Part of the part of the service development, as Bill was talking about, is also because there. I think there's a twenty-fold increase in in risk of mental health problems right after birth or postnatal period as well. 
What does postnatal mean? Can you just explain it for someone who doesn't know the lingo? Postnatal is the period immediately after birth. So natal means birth and then postnatal after birth. Um, and yes, you're right. It's, um, there is an, a particularly increased risk of mental health problems in that period. Laura, can you tell me about the mental health problems that new mothers face? The most common mental health problems in women after after delivery, we're really thinking about depression and anxiety. So take depression. Well, we've all heard of baby blues. So um, sorry, I, I don't know what baby blues is. Can you can you just explain that as well? Yep. So baby blues quite often um and we think it's to do with the hormonal changes after birth. Women in the first few days of birth can uh, first few days after delivery can be feeling quite tearful. And maybe quite irritable, a bit low in their mood, but it doesn't ever fit the criteria for a full depressive episode. So if those symptoms carried on and um, persisted for, say, over two weeks, that's sort of the time at which we'd be thinking, mm, I wonder if this is actually coming to now developed a postnatal depression. And the kind of symptoms we'd be thinking about of postnatal depression would be, again, so low mood, also feeling really tired all the time and also not really getting enjoyment from things anymore so that could be not getting enjoyment from you know normal daily activities such as watching television or whatever whatever you enjoy doing but also not being able to enjoy your baby and not being able to um, feel that that attachment with your baby i do i do understand that pregnancy is, is an experience of a lot of changes in your body wouldn't it be normal to have those kind of you know tearfulness or feel a bit of sadness so if a lady came to me and she described the symptoms that I've just described for baby blues and it'd been going on for say a couple of days after delivery I'd be I'd be reassuring her and telling her that that's okay that's quite normal that's because all your hormones are up in the air you're probably not sleeping very well you've just gone through a major life event um, but if these symptoms persisted for more than a couple of weeks then I'd be thinking again we would be thinking about postpartum depression then. So post again being after, partum being uh, parity or partum that's birth. So what are my options now? Uh, if, if I was feeling like that and I'd had a baby recently, I would be going to either chat to my GP or I would be speaking to my health visitor, hopefully have a good relationship with them, be able to open up to them or midwife as well. Um, so there's lots of, of people surrounding the new mom. Um, that really want want to hear about this. Uh, Will, is there anything particularly different about postpartum depression from, what should I say, uh, regular vanilla depression? I think the main difference can be, number one, the services that you can access, how the disease and how the illness progresses, is that it can have an effect on you and baby. It can affect that bond that you can have with baby. And some of the symptoms are related to baby as well, because that relationship is, is there and developing. And you, you can find that mothers with postnatal depression can experience thoughts of being a bad mother, hopelessness about the future around the relationship with, with baby. It could be related to feeding and sleeping. And, and so some, quite a lot of the symptoms can be related to baby. And particularly when there's some anxiety as well, there might be that baby's not doing well, growing well. Um, and so these are things when I'm seeing um, women with postnatal depression, I'd be asking about that would be very different. I wouldn't be asking about if I was just seeing um, someone else outside of that period with depression, 
So the the symptoms can relate to the situation that they're in, and and that's with baby. What what is the natural progression of this disease? Does it is it self limiting? Does it get better by itself? Okay, so I suppose it would depend on the severity of the depression. So if it's um, a mild depression, she, she's feeling low, she's feeling not herself, but she can still sort of carry on with a day um, and, and do all the things that she needs to or, or most of the things that she needs to, then it might be that it's appropriate for um, psychological therapy first line. So there are various psychological options um, and she can be referred to her local um, IAPS team is what they're, they're called. It stands for Improving Access to Psychological Therapies and there's various therapies available. If um, it's more of a moderate or severe depression, it might be appropriate to consider treatment with antidepressants as well as psychological therapy as well. But also to think about how we can support the lady um, more broadly. Does she need sort of help with other aspects of her life um is there any sort of additional so support we can give her sometimes mums do get so unwell that they require admission into hospital in these mother and baby units yeah so the mother and baby unit the idea is to keep mother and baby together the clues in the name and that's really important to sort of foster the the bond between them. We've talked a lot about the importance of the relationship between mother and baby. And the alternative to, to that could be that mother would be admitted to a general adult female ward. Uh, Will, can you explain why we need admission or why a lady would need to come into a mother and baby unit if it is something which can be treated with antidepressants or talking therapy? When we're getting to the more severe end of depression, we start to associate and people might start to have dark thoughts, worrying thoughts. And these thoughts could be about wanting to hurt themselves, might be, might be wanting to end their own life. Um, and sometimes people might have dark thoughts relating to baby as well, thinking about thoughts about harming baby or or. or ending baby's life as well and these are really scary worrying thoughts and these are obviously the very rare end of it and and this is when obviously you need skilled professionals who are, are are used to asking these questions and if this is the case if we're worried about the safety of someone um that's when we can start to think about using a mother and baby unit and and these are um, wonderful wards. These are very different to any other psychiatric ward people might be aware of, and and these are where mothers and babies can go and be treated, um, and they're safe places. And and once uh, a woman has been treated with for their depression using antidepressants, or maybe using other methods, psychological method methods, or using other social things that we said support, um, then people can be supported in the community. But it, it is making sure that we're assessing women at that time and making sure that we're managing those risks. And that's what they're there for. Another of the common diseases that come with, with new mothers is psychosis. We're talking about postnatal depression. Can we talk about postnatal psychosis as well and what that means? Post, postnatal psychosis or pupural psychosis as it's otherwise known um, it's the, the same thing, is a very severe disorder. It's something that can just come out, out of the blue. It could be the first time anyone that mother is presented to mental health services, but you do find that it runs in families. So there's there's a genetic link to there. 
You also find that it, if people have a disorder called bipolar affective disorder, they're much more likely to have postpartum psychosis as well. And it's a disorder that usually crops up in the first weeks to month of after delivery. Um, it's not something that happens during pregnancy, it's after delivery. And this is where people can experience these psychotic symptoms, which is they can have unusual beliefs, known as delusions. They can have hallucinations where they might be hearing things or seeing things that aren't there. And this can come on very quickly. This can come on in within hours, which is abnormal, different to other mental health disorders of psychosis. So this is a emergency. And so this is something that needs to be treated quickly and is usually treated in the mother and baby unit. Um, but thankfully, it's something that gets better very quickly as well. So people can come in very unwell, but they come into the mother and baby unit with their baby. They can be started on some medication to treat it. Um, and they can get better within days and even weeks. And you find that actually sleep is a big trigger as well for postpartum psychosis. So people who can have protracted periods of not sleeping, usually babies not settling, mm. just had a delivery, may have had a C-section, might have pain related to that, um, might have had a, a complicated delivery and pain related to that. And all those things can add up and increase the risk of it. And it, it happens between about kind of one in a thousand, two in a thousand births. So although it's not common, it's not uncommon. And I think it's something that has gone under the radar for a long time. Um, and more recently, there's a lot more press about it and a lot more acceptance and knowledge about it in the general public. But I think still people don't recognise it. And it can be one of those things where it just crops out out of the blue and it's first presentation. And, and I think people can feel very stigmatised by it if they've had it before. Um, but it is one of the, just one of those diseases and one of those disorders that we can treat. And it is one of the things that does get better very quickly. I think it's a very important disorder within perinatal psychiatry. And it's something that we definitely focus on and want to treat quickly. Just to add that, um, I think in the past, perinatal mental health issues were sort of grouped as postnatal depression. And we didn't really think about all the other mental health problems that people can have after delivery, like postpartum psychosis. I know that um, in some women, when you ask them about their history, their family history of um perinatal mental health problems they'll say oh yes my auntie had postpartum depression she 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 was hearing things she was seeing things and actually you realize that that has mis been mislabeled and it was actually a psychosis that wasn't recognized at the time and um, so it's really important to take a, a a good history as a doctor to make sure that you're, you're not missing something is family history important so uh, let's say if there's two sisters if one of them has postnatal depression or postnatal psychosis is there a high risk in, in her other sister or other family members as well? We do find that um, perinatal mental health issues do run in families, particularly um, postpartum psychosis. So you would ask about um, history of postpartum psychosis in family members. How serious or dangerous is this? And what can someone who's experiencing these symptoms do to help themselves? When a woman experiences these alarming symptoms of, of maybe having unusual beliefs, maybe ha hearing these auditory hallucinations, they might be changing in, in their behaviour. These are things that need to be seen urgently. And so if someone wants to experience those, see your doctor that day or that morning, but probably more likely is get yourself to the nearest 
accident and emergency centre or to contact a psychiatrist urgently that day to get some advice. If at any doubt, going to an accident, an emergency centre or an emergency department is the way to go for this because it's something that can progress quite quickly and does need urgent treatment. The field of work that we are in, there's always an ultimate outcome that we want to avoid. This is a trigger warning for anyone who's just tuned in that we will be talking about suicide and possibly harm to babies. Will, can you tell me a bit about what kind of data we have on self-harm and suicide in, in mothers? Yeah, I think obviously talking about suicide, particularly in people who it's it's a brand new symptom, having these thoughts about wanting to harm themselves, might not know the words to be able to speak about how they're feeling um, about if they're having thoughts about wanting to harm themselves, ending their life or harming baby. And so people can find people might bottle those thoughts up, not want to speak to their partner about it, might not want to speak to health professionals about it. And one of the main worries I hear from women that I'm speaking to is that they worry that, number one, they're not a good enough mother if they're having these thoughts, or they worry that their baby's going to be taken away from them, that their family are going to judge them. But this is part of a disorder. This is a common symptom of the disorder, unfortunately and really useful information for any health professional to know because that just gives us an in, a little bit of information about how severe the disorder is. And knowing that allows us to act quicker and put, puts our ears up and says, okay, we, we need to get in and, and, and get treatment soon. The data coming from suicide in the postnatal period is another big driver in, in the buildup of services within the UK for um, the perinatal services. So there's something called the Embrace Report, which is uh, a confidential inquiry into deaths in 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 um, new mothers, and that looks at all outcomes. So it looks at um, women, any woman that's given birth, and it looks at if they've had heart attacks, if they've had blood clots, and and, and it looks at h- how those women have died, and and obviously that gives kind of information and thinking about how we can improve services. Now, if you look at that data and you look at after six weeks, after baby's born, up to one year, the, the main cause of, of death in any new mother between six weeks after delivery and one year is a psychiatric cause. So that's a massive thing. That just shows that kind of cancers, blood clots, heart attacks, all those things are a lot less risky than actually a psychiatric cause. And, and one of those outcomes is, is suicide. And some of the other outcomes are, are drug-related deaths. And so it, knowing that information means that we're, we're not seeing enough people within having those thoughts. And what we need to do is catch those thoughts early. We need to make sure that we're hearing those thoughts from women who are experiencing them and so we can support them and keep them safe. And so I think that that's a big part of us wanting to improve uh, women's mental health in the postnatal period is we want to hear about it because if we don't hear about it, we can't do anything about it. To add to what Will just said, to think about um, the role of the partners as well here is really important. So even though, of course, we want women to come forward with how they're feeling, it may be that they don't realise that they're quite unwell. It may be that the people around them have realised things so that the the partners have picked up on things, the friends have picked up on things, their mum's picked up on things. So it's important that family members and friends feel able to raise concerns as well. And it's it's really important for us to, to hear from them about the changes that they've noticed in, in the woman. How could you approach someone and ask them if they're okay? 
How could you do that sensitively? I think just it offering that open space. I think offering that open space for a discussion because you have a new baby, you're living with partner, it's going to be a very stressful environment and you're probably not going to be sleeping that much. You're probably going to have lots of family members or people around coming to see you and there's going to be a lot of stress. And I think you can probably get caught up in that treadmill of just getting through the day, making sure you've got baby clean, doing nappies, get to bed, getting the feeds done. And I think actually taking the time for your partner and saying, how are you getting on? I'm a bit worried. Or how have you been feeling? Um, I, I think people don't probably ever do that that much because they get stuck in that treadmill. And But I think that's a really powerful thing to be able to have a sit down and be able to speak to your partner openly and honestly and just say, how are you getting on? During my rotation in perinatal psychiatry, um, I had heard about, even as a health professional, I had heard about postnatal depression and postnatal psychosis. But I was uh, quite surprised that there was a lot of mothers who had intrusive thoughts or that OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, was also a strong theme or a strong uh, comorbid, as we call it. Um, Laura, can you tell me what that is? What were these? What do we mean by intrusive thoughts and how does OCD play into new mothers? Yeah, so OCD is not an uncommon diagnosis in women that have... Um, that are postnatal. Um, it, sometimes it's a new diagnosis postnatally, or sometimes it's a lady that's had an anxiety disorder early in life, or maybe they've had a diagnosis of OCD earlier in life, and then after birth, uh, OCD can worsen. And when you asked me about intrusive thoughts, so these are thoughts that um, are the woman's own thoughts, and she tries to resist them, but they keep popping back into her head, and they're really, really distressing. And sometimes that's associated with compulsions as well. So OCD being obsessive compulsive disorder, there's the obsessions and the compulsions. Um, classically, um, people may th think of hand washing is what most people come to when they think about um, compulsions associated with OCD. But compulsions can also be a little bit less less sort of visible so sometimes compulsions can actually be compulsive thoughts or avoidance and it can manifest in various ways let's say the classic example in hollywood and things things like that is someone who's having the thought that i'm i'm dirty i'm dirty or my hands are dirty or germophobia which feeds into that compulsion of hand wash what kind of intrusive thoughts would uh, new mums have and what kind of compulsions would they have do you have any examples to share Again, wide-ranging. It can be to do with um, concerns about germs, or maybe worries that they've been worries that they've cheated on their partner, even, or um, worries about the baby that, that the baby's unwell or the baby's infected in some way. So these the compulsions that the rituals that they carry out, which may act on their obsessive thoughts, may involve the baby as well, and and that's why it's um, significant in the postnatal period. So we can talk about hand washing. So it might not be that the mum's just washing her hands; she may also be bathing the baby several times a day, and then causing you know skin problems in the baby. I think. I agree with your point that it's something that not many people know about. And I think that, again, makes it quite difficult to assess. I think people do miss it. I think it's something that goes under the radar quite a lot. People just accept it as as the way that things are and that it's not a, something that can be treated or helped. 
Um, and I, I think part of that is because they, they sometimes can be really distressing, these thoughts. They can, it can be and not an uncommon for, for me to see is, is sexualized thoughts relating to babies. So people can think that they're sexually abusing baby, that they're a paedophile. And that can affect how, obviously, if you're having that thought, obviously, they're not a paedophile, they're not having these thoughts, but this is an intrusive thought that's coming to the head that they don't like, that, that you know, so it goes against their values and what they want to do. And that can affect nappy changing, bathing. And obviously, if you're having that thought, you're not going to be able to change ba baby's nappy if you think that you're sexually assaulting your baby. And and I think that's part of why they go under the radar as well, because obviously you don't want to go and tell your GP, your health visitor, that you think that you're a paedophile, that you're going to sexually assault your baby. Um, and so people live with those distressing thoughts. And actually, it's a disorder. It's something that can be treated and helped. So. This is a trigger warning for anyone who's just tuned in that we will be talking about harm to babies. Will, I wanted to talk about infanticide and harm to babies. Does it happen? How common is it? And what can we do to help? I think it is incredibly rare to start off with. It is, it is very rare. I would say that women having thoughts about wanting to harm their baby is less rare. And that's a, a different thing. So women have, wanting to have thoughts to harm their baby can be part of some of the mental health disorders, and that's part of the disorder. Infanticide is when a woman um, will harm the baby and then the baby dies. Um, and it is something that is incredibly sad and luckily incredibly rare and is usually part of a, a very severe depressive episode and is commonly part of something where the mother may also take their life at the same time. And so, again, awareness of this from a health professional point of view is important because we need to be asking those questions about, are you having any thoughts about wanting to harm baby? And I think, it, although it's incredibly rare, I think it's useful for people to know that the reason why we're asking those questions is because, obviously, there is this horrible, horrible thing that could happen, and we know that can happen very rarely, and so we just need to check. So if someone, if you're a mother and someone is asking you these questions, they're doing it for a purpose rather than just being horrible. Um, and I think that's probably an important thing to know. We're going to be talking about emotive topics such as self-harm, stillbirth and infant death. These topics may be triggering for you. And if you're feeling distressed, I'd encourage you to take a step away. Like we were talking about before, uh, before the recording, that they, I do know, I do have friends and loved ones who their partners miscarried, or they themselves had a miscarriage, or they carried the baby till term, and then unfortunately the birth wasn't successful. There was a stillbirth. Any any advice for the mothers on how to cope with that? Any anything that we can do to to help? Yeah. So miscarriage and stillbirth, obviously tragic and devastating events, and I think it's really difficult to advise anybody about how to approach that especially if you're a mom that's just lost their baby um but from our side um from you know friends family health healthcare professionals i think it's really important that we give that lady the time and listen and we're very careful about what we say so i think it can be really easy to try and say sort of things that we hope are 
positive. Sometimes you might hear people say, oh, well, you can have another baby. And actually, that's really not not really what the woman wants to hear because you cannot replace that baby that she's just lost. So I think to be really thoughtful um, in our in our discussions with women. So I attended some training. I used to work in Wales uh, at the beginning. That was my first job. So there. So two two things. One was that the the mother kind of still sees that child, or they mourn them, or they they grieve for them, or. Uh, or you know, okay, this would have been his or her birthday. So I understood that that's something which which stays and is kind of like a personal aspect as well. the The other thing was also that we again there was like a seminar or something, and they were talking about this. Um, I, I might mess this up, but I think it was it was a GP, it was a doctor who unfortunately had that who had stillbirth. Their their baby did not survive, and they basically sent out a letter to their loved ones, and they said that okay, you know, th- this has happened. So we're just letting you know because it's difficult to answer those questions and we'll take some time to grieve, to process this. So I, I, I thought that was like, I thought that was a very forward thinking thing where, where they thought, that, okay, that has happened and just at least cut out that societal, even well-meaning words like you said that, you know, you can have another baby. It's not, you know, it's not, um, or why are you so, why are you so worried about it? It's not like it was a person that you knew. But similar to that mourning, that is a person uh, to the mum. Yeah, for some women and families that have lost a baby, it's really important for to them that you acknowledge that baby. So you don't use euphemisms. So if they've they've come back from from leave and they've come back to work, you don't sort of say say that it was just an event a thing that happened talk about the baby talk use the baby's name if that feels appropriate and it feels like that's the right thing to do with with that person other people might not want to talk about it i think it's just very much taking the lead from that person and their family i think it's a a special type of grief um because obviously you've spent if particularly in a stillbirth you spent nine months with that that baby but it's a different relationship you've had with that baby let's say if it's an elderly relative that's passed away it's it's very different and so but it goes through similar stages you can it's grief and I think we need to be treated as grief and I I guess from a point of view of western medicine we we have very medicalized miscarriage and stillbirth We, we have lots of guidelines of managing current miscarriage and most of it is on the medical management of it how to process miscarriage or the causes of miscarriage but we don't concentrate on on the psychological effects of recurrent miscarriage and i think there is now services being developed within the uk to to support women with uh, recurrent miscarriage and, and stillbirth and their psychological therapies but i think as a society i think just greater awareness and and being able to speak openly about it is, is a big part because i think it's something that people carry with them as a as a secret and that's fine. If someone wants to carry it as a secret, that's fine. But I, I think part of that is that people don't then see it as something that happens to other people. They just see it as some, a negative thing that only happens to them. And, and I think that can be quite isolating. So new mothers uh, by, um, by doctors generally are always advised that breastfeeding is a good thing for their child's development brain development in particular what about the emotional or psychological aspect of it is there is breastfeeding important in the mental well-being of the child and the mother 
it is an important aspect and I think there's a lot of societal influence into wanting to breastfeed and there's a lot of positives for breastfeeding as well obviously we've talked about the the physical improvements on baby's immune system and development of baby and we want to try and promote all women to try and breastfeed if they can but I think those societal pressures of everyone thinking that you should breastfeed um, can have negative implications sometimes so sometimes women can't breastfeed for whatever reason that might be it might be the baby's not latching on it might be that they're not producing milk and that's okay and I think not breastfeeding if they're wanting to breastfeed can have a negative impact on how they see themselves it might have a negative impact on how they see themselves as a mother people might say that I'm not a good mother because I can't breastfeed and obviously that's going to have a spiraling impact on how they see themselves how they see their relationship with baby am I not look at, able to look after my baby properly because I can't breastfeed and I guess that can affect bond between baby and that bond that relationship starts developing with baby from from conception so obviously even before conception you're planning sometimes you plan to have a baby sometimes you don't but Sometimes you do plan to have a baby. That There's a relationship there already forming, that idea of a baby, that idea of pregnancy. During pregnancy, you develop a, a, can develop a bond with baby, but understandably this comes at different rates for different people. And sometimes this comes early on, sometimes it comes later on. And understandably, sometimes people have difficulty with bond with baby. If it's been a difficult conception period, if you've had difficulty trying to have a baby, if you've had difficulties yourself during pregnancy, that can all affect how you see yourself and your relationship with baby. If it's a particularly difficult pregnancy, if you've been very sick, you've had illnesses during it because of baby, that can affect that. And obviously when baby comes out, you've got a, a crying, screaming, small human being that's trying to destroy your life. <laughs> and if if that that can have negative impacts on, obviously, your imagination of what pregnancy and what a baby might like you might not have thought that this small infant that's come out is going to need so much care going to need so much support is not going to sleep and obviously if that's the case that is going to change your view of what you saw a baby might happen and that can affect your bond your relationship with baby and that can take time to develop and what we're trying to do um, and think about is how do we improve that bond how do we improve that bond with baby and mum and partner and family and in the UK we now have services being set up to directly look at those um, relationships to look at how we can improve and how we can support mothers and families to be improve those relationships because those relationships have an impact throughout that baby's childhood and, and throughout their life it can affect um, their psychological development how their personalities are I'm sure everyone can identify that you act like the mum or you start acting like your dad and so you learn those routines you learn those interactions um from such an early age um and i i'm someone that i know i do things that my mum and dad do and i shouldn't do that and i say i shouldn't be like that because i know i hate it in them but i've learned that behavior and so you're going to learn behaviors and teach behaviors to your your children and so it's important to be able to be those positive behaviours, those things um, that can influence them for positiveness. Because obviously if you're severely depressed, if you're very mentally unwell, you might not be able to support those behaviours. You, you, you might be uh, have really low energy and in bed. You might have not be able to smile and, and kind of 
have that happiness that you want to have and that can have an impact on baby's development as well so one of the experiments we uh, or i had to learn as part of my training was the wire mother experiment by harlow and he took some monkeys um and he separated them after birth and each each uh, the monkeys were placed in two different environments one of them was with a a wire or wire mother that's why it's a wire mother experiment and the other one was with a soft cloth a terry cloth what they noticed was that the the baby monkeys spent a lot more time with their cloth mother than with their wire mother and it was more important to them than um than the wire mother i think i'm i'm not sure but i think in this one they they actually had food with the wire mother and with the terry cloth one it was it was just it was just a soft cloth they still spend more time just bonding or cuddling or just holding on to that uh, cloth mother so does simply having contact with the mother does that the simply physical touch uh, cuddle or or the the contact during breastfeeding does that help or is that important for the baby as well yes and it's definitely it's definitely that contact that is important it's definitely that relationship that that to and fro that you have with um baby and mother and partner um it, it's it's that you see the facial kind of features you can see smiling you see frowning and baby will learn that and it, it's that interaction that you have that holding that cuddling it's not just the providing of sustenance and not the providing of milk really it's actually the the interaction that you have and that that safe place that you can provide for that baby that is the is is the key part of it yeah so i think it's important to say that if you choose to bottle feed your baby it, it doesn't compromise the bond that you can develop with the baby i think that would be the bottom line and i think when we're thinking about feeding it's really important that women are empowered to choose a method that suits them and their baby um uh, because we've got to think about the practical aspects of breastfeeding as well it can take a lot of time often in the middle of the night if you're a lady um who well if if you're anybody really but if you're a woman who has mental health problems which have discussed previously then sleep's really important so it it may be appropriate if if you were going to bottle feed for example your partner could take over the feeds at night and that could be really important for you to make sure that you've got some sleep overnight um and also sometimes breastfeeding's too difficult for women particularly women who maybe have psychosis that we've talked about the the mechanism of breastfeeding the time it takes to breastfeed it can be just really difficult to coordinate that it actually takes some high level sort of organization to do that um so it's important to bear that in mind as well we've reached the end of our time and i just like to say that thank you so much for listening we've talked about some difficult topics today and i'm keen to have some feedback you can reach out to nirvana principles show on instagram as well as twitter Thank you so much Will and Laura for sharing your time out with us and I hope to catch you the listener in the next episode.